Today's reading is Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. It can be found on page 892 the Bible your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Invite you to bow your heads in prayer with me as we begin to look at this. Our God of grace. Uh, as we come into this space, we come with different kinds of postures and experiences and moods. Usually we have something that we're carrying. Uh, a heaviness, a burden, a worry. And sometimes we're carrying some kind of gift. Something that has been a blessing. Something that is lightening our days. So whether we come with um, joy or grief this morning, whether we come with a sense of great faith or we are um, filled with doubts, whether we come calling ourselves a Christian or just mystified by what, what this is all about, whatever the case may be, when you meet us, speak to us. And that's the great mystery is that we actually trust that you will speak into all these places. And that... <laughs> The most surprising part of all, you'll just use an ordinary human mouthpiece like myself. It won't be my eloquent words or my great insights. It will be your Holy Spirit using these ancient words of Jesus um, to bring what we need. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit now to be so powerfully at work that each and every one of us has a sense that you met us exactly along the road of our life to carry us forward, to join us, to love us, to forgive us, perhaps challenge us, and most of all, to help us see you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're doing it as a series so that we're in it for a while. And we get to the section today where, where um, uh, it's often talked about as the antithesis section. Because um, Jesus says this phrase over and over again. Um, and so we'll pick up on some of this next week and the week after because this continues. He says this several times. He says, you've heard it said, and then like fill in the blank. And then he says, but I say. And then he says something else. So antithesis, you know, this is one thing, but I'm going to contrast. It. And what he's doing is he's bringing out parts especially about the Mosaic law that his Jewish first century hearers would have known, and then he's saying, like, this is how it's been taught to you. This is what you're familiar with, but I'm here to 
give you a different picture. And so he ends up utilizing these the, the different laws around murder and around marriage and divorce and around oaths and around revenge and around enemies. He kind of works through these, all of them, to basically, when he's contrasting, he's saying, now what I'm going to say to you, and then he goes way deeper. He goes into the internal spiritual realm versus just the external spiritual realm. And today's, as you notice, today's example, it's the first one, it's murder. That's what he's dealing with. When we see a, a news story where there's um, a bit of a shocking act of violence, we have this habit of getting into a mode of being scandalized. The media is really good at knowing this about us, and so often these stories come to us, whether it's a, the kind of TV show documentary that I remember from just when I was like even in high school back then, they were already on to this idea of just really drawing it out over an hour. Um, you know, maybe it was a, an actual you know, act of violence that somebody did on somebody else. Maybe it was a, somebody died. And, you know, and so they can drag it all out and sensationalize it because they're tapping into this feeling that we have like, are you kidding? I can't believe it. I'm scandalized that that could happen. What Jesus is doing, really, is basically leading us to, um, to see that your supposed shock is unwarranted. That we are carefully trying to make distinctions between those violators, those horrible violators over there, but we're actually just as guilty. It's hard to believe, it's hard to enter into it first, but that's what Jesus is doing. That we possess the same murderous rage in our hearts. Someone's one particular person in your life, their name is mentioned, and a cloud comes over you. See, you just hopefully went there, active listening. <laughs> and, you, and you just caught a glimpse, possibly, of how your life will take you on the continuum. Your life will take you to places where you find yourself on the continuum upon which murder stands. Jesus is drawing our attention to that. You know, in my life, I've constructed a plan, and it's a good plan. It contains good things coming to me. I have a goal or a reward that I deserve that's ahead of me. And then something just got in the way, or maybe someone. Even if you think about it this way, you know, your kitchen is all set up. The food is all in the right place. Maybe you're even proud of how you've organized it and the good things that are there. You've just cleared it out. And then trails of ants are making their way in. And they've gotten into everything. What's your reaction? Kill them! Right? Um, all of a sudden you find you've got cockroaches in the house, in the walls. Annihilate them. Right? Now. No matter how much it costs. I've got rats in the yard. Exterminate immediately. I've got aphids ruining my prized vegetables in the garden. Wipe them out. 
And so snuffing these different things out is much easier than being curious about my anger, curious about how tightly I'm holding to certain plans that I invented, curious about the kind of plans that are in the world around me, that are other people's plans and other creatures' plans. And my experience, of just, just for myself, is that I'm not much different with people than I am with those pests in my garden. I mean, I, I'd like you to think, usually on the outside, I'd like you to think I'm, oh, with people, you know, I'm so loving and forgiving and, and ready to overlook every last little thing. But I think in our hearts, we realize that even though we might be more guarded, even though we might have a sense of ethics and a code, how we deal with people, with people we get on that same kind of continuum that you might get on with a pest that's ruining your, your life on the home front. Especially if you get pushed far enough to your limits. So Jesus is kind of saying in this passage, he's saying, don't be so quick to assure yourself with, hey, I'm not a, I'm not a murderous person. And he instead widens the scope so that anger is included on the continuum to murder, to killing. The question of the week that we had got at this, and you guys gave some great answers. The question was, um, when does anger go too far? Each week in the worship guide, question of the week, you can fill it out. So go for it as well this week so that we can talk about your answers next week. That this one was, when does anger go too far? Someone said, when it hurts someone or yourself. Someone said, when it's selfish. That's a good insight. Because then my anger at the pests in the garden is selfish, or is, is gone too far, according to that. When my knuckles are bruised from punching a wall, says someone else, and someone else says, when someone gets hurt or something gets broken. And so you can start to see, like, we know, you guys know, that our anger naturally builds towards harming something or someone. It naturally goes in that direction. The religious teachers of Jesus' day were promoting a system that was very familiar, promoting teachings to get right with God that were very familiar to the people Jesus spoke to. It was a rigorous and fastidious system. It was impressive. And yet, Jesus is peeling it back, and he's often critiquing it, that it's superficial. So people were saying, I haven't technically murdered anyone. And yet they're able to live, assuming they're fine, with a festering anger and resentment in their heart. And, it did, and that still, on the books, hey, I'm good. I'm there. I'm making it. And similarly, we're eager to find a voice in our day. This is humanity of all ages and all times. We're eager to find a voice or a new philosophy that says, you can do this if you try hard enough. You can do it. And so we find our world crowded with programs that narrow the scope, that are riddled with shortcuts to self-validation. Things that make, make it look manageable to be a good person. I'm on the good path, you know, as long as I'm not an axe murderer, 
that's the comical, you know, that's the comical example of something that really is there all the time in all of us. You know, well, hey, I'm not, I'm not an axe murderer here. Get, lay off it. You know, what, are you perfect? Fine. You know, we narr narrowing, narrowing, narrowing. But we need actually desperately, we need something to go deep. Let's see if we can get it wide. We need something to shake shake us awake, to rattle our foundations, to disrupt our confidence. Because then, then, only then, in that sort of exasperation, we might be ready to see how Jesus is different from every other guru and leader and teacher and spiritual advisor that the world has ever had. Because he refuses to make things manageable. Why does he refuse to... Why is Jesus different? The sermon title, I don't know if you noticed the sermon title, was Merciful Impasse. Who's the killer? Was the subtitle. Because, and I'm stealing this language from someone I'm about to quote, his, uh, a pastor named Paul Zoll. He gave ten lectures on the Sermon on the Mount that I have by audio, and you can find it online, and the quality's not that great, but it's, it, you may, it may be your style, or it may not, but it's, I found it fascinating and, and exactly what is true about the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about a merciful impasse. That that's actually exactly what we need. We hit an impasse, we throw up our hands, we are exasperated and desperate, and we say, how? How could I ever reach this kind of high standard? But he does it. It's merciful. It's a merciful impasse. Because only if we get to that impasse can we discover God's grace. I'll let his words put it a little more clear. He says, Jesus is actually magnifying the law and showing that we really don't have any room at all to maneuver when it comes to the law. That the only thing that we can do is throw up our hands in complete and total tumultuous defeat and say, Uncle, I am guilty. And that is what triggers the grace of God. And don't miss that last part, because if, that, if that's not why you're hitting that moment of desperation, then it's an abysmal, depressing defeat. And you can see how it's so extreme in this, this little passage where Jesus talks about murder, because there's really there's these three layers, and it keeps getting deeper and more impossible. The first layer, he says, and he's already said, your, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. So there's level one, and he says that, and he says, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. So that's level one. That's superficially, I haven't committed this atrocious act. Superficially, on the outside, externally. But then Jesus takes it to level two, and he says, but I'm going to tell you about avoiding anger in your heart. So now he goes internally, and the limit now seems, it, all, it just seems beyond what you can achieve. It seems like he's just barely crossed over, and uh, because you say, I can't let anger fester ever or I'm doomed. That's kind of the language he gives. Yeah, that's where. It's, so now that's level two, and that's just exasperating and almost you say, I think that's impossible. And then he assures you that it's impossible when he gives you an example that basically says, not just do you have to avoid external, not only do you have to avoid evil on the internal level, but now you have to be a proactive pursuer of reconciliation. You have to be actively pursuing, not just avoiding the bad, but pursuing the good. All the time. And it's kind of exaggerated. It's a to the original hearers, it's a little bit of a funny example that he gives, where he says, if you've got an offering at the altar, but then you remember, oh, I'm not good with somebody, leave your altar there and go make right and then come back, which for a lot of people, 
they would be at the altar in one of the celebrations seven times a year where they traveled to Jerusalem. And not everybody traveled, you know, to everyone. It's kind of like an agony. You might go to one, whatever you can afford. But you will have come with your money in hand. You would have bought an animal. You would have got that animal to the point of being um, off. It's now, a, you know, a carcass. And then you remember someone, you, you know, back in Galilee, a three-day journey. And so I'm going to leave this carcass here, and I'm going to go on my three-day journey, and then come back three days, and then do it. It's comical. It's utterly, completely impractical. Why would you ever be so impractical? And that's the exaggerated emphasis. That's what's, that's more important. That's the kind of proactive, that's the kind of impractical pursuit of reconciliation. The kind of high bar that Jesus is setting. It just wipes you out. It just says, oh, throw up my hands. Forget it. I used to have some great feedback from somebody with some of my sermons early on 10, 12 years ago when we were first starting City Life, where I had, I had every sermon had three points, and then those, ser- those points had, tended to have three or four sub-points. And he said, look, I get done with point one, and I'm like, okay, I got this. And then you move on to point two, and I just throw up my hands. I'm like, I can't. It's like too much. That's it. We're, you know, that's what we're doing with Jesus. We're throwing up our hands. Jesus, you're exasperating us. It's too heavy of a load. So that Desperate. We will turn, cock our head a little bit with Jesus and go, what's going on here? And perhaps some of you will listen to Jesus in your life enough that you'll have that sort of moment where Jesus is not just another spiritual teacher who gives you kind of a good pep talk and you got a few things to do and now you can be a better person. But you get to that point where your head kind of turns you like, Something different. Something is happening here. And you'll listen enough. And then you'll realize that the Sermon on the Mount just gets you to chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. There's 21 more chapters left. And what happens in those chapters? And if you don't know that, then the Sermon on the Mount means nothing to you. You will get nowhere. If you don't know what happens after that. If you don't see that what happens after that is Jesus allows... The off the rails, outrageous, homicidal rage of humanity take him to his death. And he allows it, he welcomes it, and he doesn't take revenge, he doesn't get angry. In fact, the words on his lips as it's happening to him are, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How do you hold these two things together? A man says, Jesus says, if you even have any anger, you're, you're going to burn up in the, in the fire of Gehenna. It was like a garbage pit outside the town of Jerusalem. If you even have a little bit of anger that you fe- let fester, expect doom. And then how do you reconcile that with later on, the most murderous homicidal rage comes down on him on the cross. And he says to people who are doing it, he's just said, they're going to be doomed if they do it. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. To get desperate enough by the throwing up your hands, you might enter into the anomaly, the paradox of that. And see that there is on the cross an earth-shaking love that is poured out for you, reconciling us in our angry and murderous hearts back to the love of God. For the sake of Jesus. 
as he absorbs humans' homicidal wrath so that humanity can avoid God's legitimate wrath. What an act of grace. Praise God for the cross. And so I think, actually, if you were continuing on your journey into Matthew to see how this all plays out, you'd see an amazing, very brief exchange that I think is actually the exchange Jesus is after, the response Jesus is after in preaching the Sermon on the Mount. But it happens later in, in chapter 19. He's just talked about the difficulty of the rich entering into the kingdom of heaven. The disciples who heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, so here's the desperation, here's the exasperation. Who then can be saved? And this is what Jesus says. He looked at them. It was like he said, aha, good. He says, with human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You're going to be in life, everyone's going to be in life on a cycle. And that cycle, the cycles of life are going to look they're going to include certain things. They're going to include times where you feel inspired enough or motivated enough to want to be a better person and do some things. And they're going to include times where you feel accomplished because you've actually made progress at those things. But it's also guaranteed to include moments where you're utterly defeated and your failures are in front of you like a neon sign. You're going to go through these cycles. And there's, but there's a difference. The question that really matters, the question that's revealed by the Sermon on the Mount is, what are you going to grab hold of when you're in the ditch of that failure? What do you have to grab hold of? And it's basically, when you listen to Jesus, it sounds like there's two options. When you're in that place of failure, that part of the cycle is you get to this point, and you just, it just is, okay, dig a little deeper, try a little harder. Or, the radical restoring grace of God. Let's pray. Our God of grace. If we have a value system that allows us to feel pretty good about our spiritual performance, the truth is you're saying to us we will never encounter you. And so we have to pick, it seems, between an attainable religious standard we're in an encounter with your love and grace. It's one or the other. We can't have both. And of course, that's going to mean we need lots of help because we're stubborn. And we, especially in our country, we have a can-do spirit about everything. And so, God, will you give us, um, whether we're new to this kind of message, whether we're new to this forgiveness and grace, or whether it's been with us for a long, long time, will you give us the moments of holy desperation. And in those moments, would you keep transforming us? So that then we, with, with joy, we keep probing the things that you ask of us. We keep probing things like the Sermon on the Mount. Looking for how we might commune more with you by living in your ways. But we have to hit that desperation point first. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to regularly bring us there. In Jesus' name. We respond to